Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn from Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in with us, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all the content that we put out there into the interweb, the universe. Um, go to my Twitter, at Focus Compound. That's the best place to get everything that we put out there into the web. Um, if you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes, hit that subscribe button. Uh, give us a rating and a review, preferably five stars. That goes a very long way for us. That helps push out our content to other people that are interested in investing. And of course, if you're interested in learning more about our money management services, we aren't just podcasters. We do manage capital both through a fund vehicle and separate managed accounts. Uh, reach out to me, Andrew, at Focus Compounding, and you could get more information on that at the Invest With Us tab at www.focuscompounding.com. So in today's podcast, we are going to talk about Berkshire's letter um, uh, this past weekend on Saturday, as is tradition. Warren Buffett released their 2021 annual report. And I should probably say we are going to be at Berkshire this year. Okay. So if you're going to be at Berkshire, come say hi uh, to us. And a little bit more news will come out on something we're planning for that okay. um, shortly. So be on the lookout for that. You'll probably hear about it on the podcast and also through Twitter. You'll read about it. Um, but Berkshire released their annual report. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Buffett's letter. So first impressions. What, are, what were your first? What are your first impressions? What's your snap judgment on the letter? It felt farewell, mm, goodbye, short. short. Yeah, yeah. What did I notice? Uh, I mean, I think the word inflation is in it, but there was really no discussion of inflation. There's really no discussion of COVID, and there's really no discussion of obviously uh, Russia, you know, and and that because you know that just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so it could be written in most years that way. So that's, you know, positive in many ways, uh, because it makes things timeless that you're reading that way. Uh, I thought you thought last year felt like a farewell. I did. A, a victory lap. It, it a, seemed you know. like the end of a movie, you know, okay. like yeah, if you talk about like the timeline of a movie shows mm -hmm. the history, all that sort of stuff. It, it seemed like a, a happy ending, I would say. Okay. This to me, this letter was Kind of similar was my uh, reaction. Mm -hmm. It was short. Um, lots of things that he could talk about, but you know, typical Buffett fashion. You know, Mo Monish has talked about this before when people have asked, "Who do you enjoy talking to more, Buffett or Monish? Oh, or Buffett or Munger?" <laughs> okay, and he has said that. Um, I think he actually said Buffett's secretary or his right. assistant, mm -hmm. um, and then Munger, and then Buffett because Buffett is so you know. He's always on. He's got this persona about him. He's very much focused on his image that he has carefully crafted over the years, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you're having a conversation with him, Monish says that conversation, he talks to you as if you're going to go and report it in a newspaper. Okay. He says that Munger, even if you are going to report it in a newspaper, he doesn't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. He just, you know, says, speaks his mind. So, Buffett talked a little bit about taxes and how much they've paid. That was really the only political thing here. There is that. Yeah, there's been more of that lately. And I think that's because of sort of the uh, income, you know, inequality and stuff like that. The hot topics that you've heard about 
tax the rich and they're talking how much, more about sustainability how much things. wealthy people don't pay in taxes and stuff like that yeah buffett has been talking about tax things for a while but there's definitely this has gotten more and more to- lately has a few more sentences that remind me more of like a jamie diamond kind of like a middle finger in a way a middle finger a okay. middle finger like we paid x amount in taxes oh i i don't uh, feel that way i feel like it's um uh, I actually think a lot of it is the utility and the railroad. That since, especially the railroad, uh, since they've gotten big with that, the media attention and all that does mean that you have to be more aware of that sort of thing and um, that you're in regulated things. And he's talked about the importance of regulators and allowing them a fair return and all that. So there's some more political things mm-hmm. about just the idea of Berkshire as a good corporate citizen paying plenty in taxes and you know investing a lot in the u.s and all that kind of stuff and that's the thing right the past couple of years it seems like sort of the tone has always been and he said it very much a a few times i think in the um you know the shareholder meeting last year don't bet against america Mm -hmm. and that has sort of been the tone in his last letter and i think also was the tone in this letter as well when he was talking about um let's see if we could find it Basically, they wouldn't have been as successful. America would have been fine without Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. But Berkshire Hathaway wouldn't have been as successful if it was not in America. Right. And um, Berkshire is, uh, I mean, now with their big investment in Apple, it's a little different. But Berkshire, historically, for a big company, has been extremely not diversified into other countries. If you want to get exposure just to the U.S., you buy Berkshire. Because... um, you know, it, utility has a little bit of stuff in it that's outside the U.S., but it um, is a railroad. It's one of the biggest railroads in the U.S. Um, that's an all-U.S. thing. Utility that's like that, um, even when we get into things like insurance and stuff, uh, you have more exposure through some of them to the U.S. than normally. It's not very multinational diversified. It's a huge company for not being all around the world. So uh, Berkshire has not made many purchases outside the U.S., a few, but not many. So I think that talking about that is, yeah, a big part of it. What were your thoughts on his rare prediction that Berkshire Hathaway Energy will be, or I'm sorry, Ber, uh, the railroad will be relevant 100 years from now? Oh, the railroad. Yeah, the railroad. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think I, I think he believes that, yeah. I thought that was interesting because a lot of times he doesn't make, I guess, a prediction like that. I think at that. the time he said like, you know, for the next 100 years and stuff, the railroad. The railroad's been uh, around for a while. The railroads have been around now for, uh, you know, we're, we're getting close to 200 years mm-hmm. from the beginning of the railroads in the U.S. And um, they've been important. And, you know, I, I mean, if anything, they'd be more important normally. But I think that because of the pandemic stuff, a little bit more has been go- gone through trucking and stuff. Because even though it's uh, less effective cost-wise, it's less likely to get you trapped in uh, slow deliveries. Because what's happening with everything else is less likely to affect you. You know, by railroad, that's a big problem. The whole network basically moves at the speed that it's able to. Um, so I think people have been spending more to avoid some things with the railroad backups and things like that. He kind of made a little bit of a green pitch as well. Well, the railroad's, railroad. the railroad's very, very green. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, the railroad's very green. Which I thought was interesting to hear him talk about. Railroads are, yeah, yeah, they're very, I mean, they're old and stuff. So I guess people don't like them. But... Mm. Yeah, I don't know of a greener way to move things around. And of course, you know, infrastructure stuff, Berkshire pays for all this. Whereas, you know, when they talk about infrastructure bills in the U.S. and stuff, it's not really to fix damage by cars. 
it's you know the reason there's gas taxes and things is really for and need for infrastructure things is because of trucks you know cars do relatively little um yeah, you have to have very heavy things to be doing all that. And Berkshire, of course, pays for all of the stuff with its railroad, as do all the other railroads. Now, they earn a good return, especially a good leverage return, to the extent they're allowed. And that's important. But yeah, it's a uh, it's very, very green way of doing it, certainly compared to other possibilities of how you could move things around uh, around a country. What are your thoughts on his commentary about Apple? Do you think uh, I Apple's guess a permanent might, position? Yeah, this is where someone might worry about it. That That's, will he hold Apple when it's too expensive? It very much yeah. makes the case. It sounds like he's thinking about Apple as a permanent position. Well, it's such a big position mm-hmm. versus the whole company now. I think you said that. It's one of their, right? It's part of the big the four. Giants. Yeah. He's renamed them each year, but the um, the Giants. Our yeah. third giant. Yeah, and I would say really, in, above that. I'd say really, insurance is separate. So it's really one of the three giants. Really, um, Apple, the railroad, and Berkshire Hathaway Energy are the really three giants. And then there's insurance. Insurance is really its own thing. It funds the other ones. Um, it's very important to Berkshire, obviously, but it funds the growth and all of that. Whereas Apple is now one of the three. You mm-hmm. got a railroad. You got energy. You got Apple. Those three together are the really big ones. And then everything's funded by insurance. Did you think when he was talking about dividends versus share buybacks, that was kind of a case for share buybacks? Because that's also been a hot topic Oh, against share buybacks. Yeah. Um, I mean, the math itself was actually interesting. He says it's important to understand that only dividends from Apple are counted in the gap earnings Berkshire reports. And last year, Apple paid us $785 million of those Yet our share of Apple's earnings amounted to a staggering five point six billion. Yeah, and he went on to talk about um, you know Apple basically being a cannibal, and he loves it's he really likes Tim Cook as you could see. He talks about Tim Cook as if they own the entire company and love the CEO. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, the the buybacks have benefited Berkshire. Berkshire's bought back its own stock. Apple's bought back its stock. You're getting a lot more Apple over time uh, without selling, without buying more of it if you own it through Berkshire, obviously. yeah. So if you buy Berkshire, you're getting more and more exposure to Apple individually because your share uh, is a bigger part of the Berkshire pie. And then that uh, App- Berkshire's ownership of Apple is becoming a bigger part of Apple's pie as well. So he said that Ted and Todd... Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he doesn't break down the amount. Nope. <laughs> Manage thirty-four billion. So not a lot. What's that? Ten percent of their portfolio? Yeah, he runs the rest. So what do you think happens when he dies? Do they just take over all of it? More of it? Yeah, all of it. That's yeah. a pretty big jump, no? Yeah, I don't think the CEO will be t- taking over the investment side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular that stood out to you on the investment side of this? Oh, we've seen it a lot. I mean, it does remind you that they have uh, the Japanese training companies. Mm-hmm. People will probably f- kind of forget about those. I feel like that was a headline, and then people haven't followed up. And that was like what, 2020, right? Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was. Yeah, um, and then you know you can see which of his investments have been really big. Uh, and what they are at cost and all that. So you have your ones that are up 10 times or more, which are either very long investments, very successful. American Express is a good example of that. Um, 
you have some of the ones that were high at cost, Bank of America and certainly Apple. Most of the others are not very high at cost. A few of them are. Um, so, you know, and then the, the ones to sort of study as some of his most successful investments or long, whatever you want to call it, the longest and most successful being things like, you know, Coca-Cola, Moody's, um, American Express, and um, there's probably another one in there that I'm not thinking of. Uh, BYD. BYD, yeah. 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 And then at cost, you can see how huge the more recent ones are. And we've talked about this a lot. But this is something people don't appreciate with, you know, something that's not selling a lot and turning over and staying the same size. So like a holding company, a fund, uh, whatever, your own life, if you're saving over time, you keep having to make bigger and bigger bets, you know, investments. And so you look at, you know, Coca-Cola was this huge investment, right, that Berkshire made. At the time, a huge portion of their uh, equity and all that being a big deal. And then you compare like the cost of that to the cost of Apple, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so for people listening, Coca-Cola at cost was $1.3 billion, and Apple at cost was $31 billion. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting to look at just how he's had to keep upping that. So the thing is really a lot of people could have bought Apple, right? A lot of people did buy Apple. A lot of mutual funds bought it, probably you know uh, liked it a lot, but they said they were capped at a certain level and they sell it down when it gets to that and all of that. Uh, what Berkshire did is way larger allocation to it than anyone else would do, and then selling almost none of it. It's a tiny little bit. Um, and so that the effect of that is huge. You end up with like a, you know, in this, it would say it's a 40-some percent position, but really with Berkshire's cash, it's more like 30 or whatever. But still, let's say a 30% position. If funds and things were doing that, you know, think how they could beat an index or something if they were willing to bet the biggest on just those you know, even if, say, they love FANG stocks, right, um, they actually don't over-allocate the FANG enough compared to, you know, thinking of how much they love it because they have to sell it down when it, when it goes up because they are so diversified and everything. With Berkshire, he makes a really big bet on a company and then he lets that bet run. That means that he has very big, um, a big influence. So something like Apple can move the needle on the overall um worth of Berkshire and it does now like right we're at 160 billion in market value yeah. for Apple mm -hmm. and Berkshire is not one of the biggest I mean it's one of the biggest but it's quite a bit smaller than some of the very big companies in terms of market cap so it's a very substantial part of their market cap it's just Apple so do you think the the way that he talks about it and the way that he talks and I guess uh goes over the repurchases and stuff like that do you think Apple will be a permanent position for them 10 years from now, even after he's gone? I don't know. It's really hard to say what people will do after he's gone. And that's the thing too, right? I mean, Ted and, Ted, Ted and Todd come in. Mm -hmm. What do they do? Reshuffle the portfolio? They might reshuffle it. That's what Buffett would do. Right when he took over Gen Re, he said everything out, no matter what it is. You know, I don't care if it's the same things that we own, or you know, it wasn't. Let me look through each individual uh, equity that you own and stuff. It was just you clear the decks and take a um, tax loss on it. Uh, I mean, a tax hit on it, having to pay taxes. Um, so I think it. We don't know. Some people would think it's sacrilege or whatever. I guess if they sold Buffett's positions into totally different mm -hmm. things, right? They'd be in for criticism. What if they... But Buffett himself, I think, would probably... My guess is, you know, 
not think that. Uh-huh. That it's if I think he said before, sometimes they do things he disagrees with, and you know. But I think if someone else is running that money, he almost never lets someone else run money. Um, he did it with Lou Simpson. And occasionally Simpson and Buffett own some of the same stocks. You could see there was slight overlap on some things, but a lot of things there wasn't. And so he was aware of what he was doing, but I don't think he was talking to him about you should do this or that. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's a, any direction like there would be normally at a firm of what you do. Do you think Buffett would ever be interested in Facebook? Because you just like, so they have $144 billion in cash. Mm-hmm. How many companies realistically could they actually invest in right yeah no it's a very small number i'm just curious like do you think facebook's a a situation they would ever be interested in or is that completely just in the two i don't know i don't know yeah someone was asking me about netflix for instance um someone at berkshire obviously could be interested in it i don't know about buffett um, I think Apple. I'm just trying different. to think of with that crazy, staggering cash position. He'd like to buy a whole business. I think he was clear about that mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, and they don't find anything good to do in in stocks, and they've said that. So I, he's talked more and more over the years. I think of how much he wants to own entire businesses. Mm-hmm. Berkshire, since the Gen Re deal and stuff, has definitely become less and less involved in in common stocks and more in buying entire businesses. And it's probably not an accident because the first time the market got really expensive was you know, 25 years ago or so. And over that time, Berkshire has done much less in marketable securities relative to its equity and stuff. And it's been an expensive time for stocks. I don't think it's an accident. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's other things he likes about owning a business in its entirety, but normally it's very hard to get a business in its entirety at prices similar to the um, public markets. You know, uh, the public markets usually offer you much better deals. He even says that in here. Uh, yeah, you very rarely do you get a good deal across the negotiation table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is true. Yeah. He got a couple, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Did you like how he opened it up? I think it was part of the opener, right? When he talked about just kind of reiterating the way that they think about investing. I mean, obviously, we know he said this stuff many times. page was a little odd compared to it almost this kind of seemed like a fun letter <laughs> to me, like the first page. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's broken from the formula that, you know, slowly the formula changed. Of the Originally, there was this really hard formula of the book value thing, the change in net worth, you know, and then that was changed over time. But then there was still a lot of the first page seemed, uh, I'd have to go back, but this first page definitely seemed unusual. You had a lot of short paragraphs there for Buffett. Um, he talks about the stuff that's in the uh, rest of the, uh, that's filed elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some shareholders will find this detail engrossing. Others will simply prefer to learn what Charlie and I believe is new or interesting at Berkshire. Very little that he thought was new or interesting at Berkshire uh-huh. this year. Very little to explain. There's just not a lot of numbers in the letter, I'd say, or a lot of zeroing in and explaining one particular thing. Yeah. Like, not a lot changed. Yeah. That point is crucial. Charlie and I are not stock pickers. We are business pickers. When he said, please note particularly that we own stocks based upon our expectations about their long-term business performance and not because we view them as vehicles for timely market moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a difficult situation that he's got a lot of different shareholders um, who are newer shareholders and stuff because of the railroad and all that. And Berkshire's become a big company as an index. And... uh 
then he has all these people watching him with the 13 Fs and all that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's going to be articles written about and whether what he does and that he likes something and, you know, people get into that and then they probably get out before he does. And, you know, they, a lot of people don't have the, a lot of people don't know as much about Buffett as we do and everything. So it may be hard to believe, but some people are just, you know, okay. So Buffett is like, you know, what is he? Is like a George Soros or like mm -hmm. a, a <laughs> Michael Burry. These, these names all blur together for them, yeah. right? So, you know, oh, he's really into this, you know, he bought some Chevron or something. He's really into the, like, this is an oil trade. He probably is doing and I can get in that. And then, you know, maybe in six months it'll gone up and I'll get out and Buffett was right. And, you know, that's probably not what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting when he talked about share repurchases. Mm -hmm. He says, there are three ways that we can increase the value of your investment. The first is always front and center in our minds. Increase the long-term earning power of Berkshire's controlled businesses through internal growth or by making acquisitions. Right, by making acquisitions. Doesn't say by buying common stocks. And then he says, today, internal opportunities deliver far better returns than acquisitions. Yeah. The size of those opportunities, however, is small compared to Berkshire's resources. Yeah, very small. Uh huh. Yeah. And he said, and by the way, that's true for everyone in business right now. That internal opportunities are probably much. It's been true for ten years. Internal opportunities are probably much better returns than you could get on acquisitions. Mm -hmm. But you can do big acquisitions. You can't find good things to do mm -hmm. with you know big uh, internal things usually yeah. for most he, of them. He says, today, though, we find little that excites us, which, ex which explains why they've been buying back their own stock as well. Yeah. It looks like they slowed down a bit. Mm -hmm. They have back, recently, yeah. like year to date. Yeah. Um, but that was interesting, though, because your takeaway from the last shareholder letter was that Buffett thought his stock was cheap. Yes. It was good to buy back stock. Yep. Now... I think he feels like he has a big cash pile and his stock is acceptable. I don't know if he thinks that his stock's really cheap. Uh, last time we said he thinks the stock's cheap relative to other stocks and the other things he could do, and he's probably going to buy a bunch back, mm -hmm. right? Now I don't know if we could say the same thing. And then he went on to talk about Paul Andrews and basically mm -hmm. like the serendipity of sometimes putting yes, a deal together. This was definitely... A call for acquisitions. Mm -hmm. This is not aimed at like, the general hey, we're, public. We're a great no. home for your business. This is yeah. not aimed sales at the pitch. general public. This is a sales pitch. And not only is it a sales pitch, it's a reminder to people of um, who, you know, talk to people you know, uh, who might be interested in Berkshire. Think about this if you haven't thought about it before. Yes, it can be this easy, uh, that it can just be like that. We yeah. can meet once for lunch. I can make you a deal. Right, if you and never go on you, with it. Yeah, if you've never, you know, Berkshire knows about a company that's being chopped or something like that. But if you've never thought about it and you would only want to sell to us, you know, give us a call. He'd love to make a giant acquisition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you think about the header of this like last little section or the title being thanks? That's a good question. I don't know if I thought about that. Yeah, I thought it was just kind of, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. And then he talked about how he has enjoyed teaching and writing. I really liked how he said Charlie calls this phenomenon the or orangutan effect. If you sit down with an orangutan and carefully explain it, one of your cherished ideas, you may leave behind a puzzled primate, but will yourself exit thinking more clearly, which is true. Yeah, he talked about how he, I don't remember if he talked about it, but he hasn't, 
um, done things with, uh, you know, schools, right? For a couple of years now, has stopped in like 89, his age when he was like 89 it's or something a, like that. Uh, 20, retiring from that okay. pursuit in 2018. 2018, so a little bit younger than that. Um, yeah. Well, they haven't had an in-person one for a while. Charlie is very old. Buffett is also old. We're talking about two people who are in their 90s. Mm -hmm. Charlie is in his late 90s. 99. Or is he 98? Uh, Yeah, late 90s. 98, yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Um, So, yeah. I mean, most normally, uh, normally what, people have been retired for 25 years when they're their age? Mm -hmm. Buffett's age. Oh, as CEOs and things like that. So... Yeah, yeah, you, you make a good point about the thanks thing. That it's a, f- a farewell letter, you think? I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. But I do agree. I thought he had two pitches in this letter. One of them was if you're a business and want to talk to Berkshire, Berkshire would be a good home. Um, you know, basically call us. And then this other one I thought was funny was then he said for Jimmy Buffett's pontoon party boat. Okay. I thought it was funny. They said your bargain hunting chairman will be buying a boat for his family's use. Join me. <laughs> yeah i don't know i thought (laughs) yeah he's always talked about the jimmy buffett thing right Uh they're not related that was uh he likes that um they have the same name yeah i i thought it was he obviously didn't single out topics to discuss in depth i wonder if there was deliberately yeah, but I mean, he could have picked a topic that's not that the kinds of things that we're talking about, the macro things or whatever, and gone more in depth with it. Um, you know, because his letters could be longer than this mm-hmm. and chose not to. It was much, much more general um, than zeroing in on one particular thing and talking about that thing for like a teaching thing or whatever. Uh, some of that is just they didn't do a lot, you know, so that there's not a lot you could discuss that way. Berkshire used to be a much more rapid pace of acquisitions and stock buying stocks and doing different things. So he could write letters in the eighties and stuff about, you know, uh, buyouts and arbitrage and, and, um, accounting things for acquisitions, whatever, because that was important for that particular year of what they had going on. I think he'd like to make a acquisition in full. That's really big. That would be, you know, definitely what he would want to do. Um, and that's really the only way to use the cash file that they have now. So I think that's kind of what he was, you know, that's the one thing he seemed to focus on the most mm-hmm. is talking about that. How Berkshire is a good home. Mm-hmm. And I think also how like literally to CEOs and things hearing about this, it can be this uh, serendipitous. It can be this, uh, there's no formal thing about it, whatever. If you've thought, you know, if you've never thought about it, think about it. So as I just said, a couple of minutes ago, your takeaway from the last letter was that Buffett thinks his stock is cheap. Berkshire's yeah. cheap. He was going to buy back stock. Is there any main takeaway from this letter? No. I mean, there's the one that I said that is he wants to do a really big deal. I mm-hmm. think that's the one thing I that seemed clear. Berkshire's stock isn't cheap enough for me to make a big difference by buying back a ton of it. Um, I can't find things to do in stocks acquisitions are too expensive we got to find something to do with a really big acquisition versus the cash that we have that's you know that would be the thing that he'd want somehow there has to that has to show up um i'm sure he would like that that somehow 
um, more than a hundred billion dollar company or something wanted to sell to them. It would have to be a special type of seller though. And he kind of used that example, how Paul, he went and talked to competitors and he didn't like that option. Then he went and sought out a leverage buyout. He didn't like that option. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Berkshire because he said, well, you're my last option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's trying to scrounge a business that he doesn't know exists. There's always a bunch of people who are thinking about stuff and you don't know about it because it's not really being shopped in any way or whatever. So you wouldn't really know. Um, and it could happen at any moment. I mean, Activision could have approached him instead of approaching Microsoft. I don't think that, you know, th that kind of thing, like something suddenly can happen or you need a, a new home for something. Um, I mean, Microsoft, I supposedly approached them, I guess. But um, yeah. I think, yeah, th there have been some companies that could have approached Berkshire and probably didn't. There's others that he probably saw and passed on. But there's a couple big ones that I've seen in the past that if they knew a lot about Berkshire and knew what they could do, might have worked out better for them. A lot of these probably would have worked out better for what they were trying to achieve if they sold to Berkshire. I don't know if it would have worked out as good for Berkshire shareholders. You don't get as good a... Uh, you're giving up probably a really good price. But in terms of what happens to the company if you sell one of these really big companies... Meaning you the know. seller is giving up? Like they could get more from a seller than Berkshire? When you said giving Microsoft up Microsoft really is going to pay more for Activision than that, Berkshire can yeah. ever pay for a company like that. However, if you want to preserve your company selling to a competitor is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, Fox, you know, Murdoch sold to Disney. Now there's something called 20th Century Studios, and it looks like at any moment it could be that just like Fox is gone or something, you know, as a studio, um, because they aren't playing that aspect of it up. Um, yeah, I think with certain competitors that you're selling out to a competitor can be difficult for the preserving the company. He talked about that with the place that it is. I mean, that's one thing that Berkshire does. It will not move the company. Mm -hmm. Kept it in Fort Worth in this example. Yeah. There's companies like that. There's companies that are probably, you know, does a Canadian company want to sell to a U.S. company or something? Yeah. Because if you're probably a not. Vancouver company and we could do that in Austin, um, then maybe we probably will at some point mm -hmm. if everything else that we do is in the U.S. and stuff. And you're probably a much more important company in that place. You know, whether we're talking about a state, a smaller town, you know, it's a big enough city, but it's not a huge city. Do you think at this point they would do like a $10 billion acquisition? They would do it, but he won't like it. No? No, he wants, you know, like when we talk about the, you know, It'd, he'd have to understand it and all that. So it's hard to pick out specific companies that he would think about. But like when we talk about the big companies and whatever, I mean, you know, I'm sure something like the size of like booking, that's what they want to buy. You know, do you think they, I mean, he would sell stock or borrow money to do an acquisition of the right sure. size. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at his stock portfolio, all that stuff can go. They say like, oh, he has spare cash. He doesn't need spare cash. Other companies, if they had a stock portfolio of a bunch of, things you wouldn't say that they won't do an acquisition because oh they have to sell their stocks he's willing to do it mm -hmm. do you think he like how most of these acquisitions happen is the company just comes to him yes no no you mean he, they're never actively like actively trying bids to get for companies no i think that's true they're not actively trying to other than in like the insurance field and some bolt-on things and stuff they wouldn't have the normal conversations which is normally how you can 
do a, you know, softly pitch something, warm people up to that thing. So like when I said with the Microsoft thing, Microsoft and Activision have people who are in contact all the time. So you can ask if they're interested. And if they clearly say no, you can pretend like you were never really asking. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's how he said the conversation kind of was like with BNSF, right? He just was meeting with mm -hmm. the CEO. It happened to coincide with a Q3 earnings report that was not good. They were... Having troubles from the recession. recession. Yeah, that's why they got the chance. Yeah. So presumably the CEO was probably stressed or, you know, whatever. And Buffett said from the, you know, they met again the next day and said, hey, this is the maximum price that we would pay. We'd be a great home for you guys. Yeah. The, the recession would be a great thing for Berkshire to be able to find an opportunity to buy something or or at least to turn down in certain specific industries. I mean, that's how they got clean homes was a recession in that industry, a depression in that industry, even though it wasn't national. Um, you know, the COVID thing, the fact that there was this sharp, quick recession in which they, Berkshire was not, it did not do anything um, is because of the fears that they had for you know, the safety of the entire company of how to run it financially when everything was shut down. And then it didn't last long from that point. So he missed an opportunity to be able to buy different stuff because you didn't have the sort of um, buying opportunity you normally do because it was something that maybe some other people were willing to buy then, but Buffett wasn't. I mean, we talked about, you know, Buffett, like he's willing to act, you know, um, at the bottom or whatever. Yes, in 2008 financial crisis. Yes, when Geico is losing lots of money in insurance. He's not someone who's going to buy a Russian stock mm-hmm. or uh, buy during a pandemic like COVID those ways. That's not the kinds of risks he takes. He takes risks and certain business risks, things that he thinks he can understand. He might buy oil when it's at, uh, you know, oil companies and things when the price of that is down a lot and he thinks it'll recover or whatever. But he's not going to take those the kinds of risks that we're that most investors are talking about when they mean risk. Um, yeah, we've talked about before. He's a high certainty investor more than right. anything else. So something the one that the, the reason why I bring up Activision and stuff is that's very it, it's a strange situation. Berkshire has not been involved in buying into something where there's those sorts of um, serious issues about the person involved and the, the people involved and and certain legal risks and whatever things. But it is a huge issue that's very company specific that has little to do with the underlying business and has to do with the the underlying industry and all those sorts of things so it's that kind of thing which would attract berkshire um so that's why i mentioned something like that uh you know where for some reason you need a home for a business but it's not because the industry and the company are not highly cash generative you know um so you know he needs something like that you know, we talked about movie theaters and stuff. There's no way, you know, imagine Berkshire loved it and, and all they wanted to do was to, after the pandemic, to buy and make a huge bet on movie theater things. It can't absorb the no. capital from Berkshire to make any difference. Mm-hmm. So you can't do that. That's some of why, okay, why are they in telecom and oil? Because it's the only stuff that's big enough. Yeah. Unless you're going to buy Fang types, you know, they're in Apple. There's not a lot of things that he'd be interested in and then could buy. And be certain about. Yeah, so that's what I mean, though. But, like, so, you know, think about what things are knocked down a lot. Even airline things. So we saw that the airline things, presumably because the airlines would, you know, have trouble getting bailouts if Berkshire owned them no matter what. And, um, but even if you add up all the airlines together, think about how little of that that Mm -hmm. was for Berkshire. Um, 
I thought it was interesting how he doesn't just put share buybacks on autopilot like most companies do. Okay. It's really a price thing for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously and the also way that what else, it should be done. And what else do I have to do with the money? Because they'll stop their buybacks like that if they have something else to do. You know, if there's, if there's an opportunity to do something else, like a huge acquisition and they would need to borrow whatever, you'll see that they won't buy back any stock right before then if the stock is reasonably priced. He's not going to continue to carry out buybacks and things like that when he's making those decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, Henry Singleton, that's, you know, his uh, model on these sorts of things. That, that's who, you know, he likes that approach. And that's the approach that usually works. It's the Berkshire type approach, the Teledyne approach, whatever. Not the buying back consistently over time. I'm a, I've sounded positive on the buying back consistently over time. It's just the best I can get and accept that. Um, for most CEOs and things, an organization that's always buying back is fine because I don't really trust the CEO. I don't just mean trust like I don't think he's competent, but trust like I think that he'll actually stop doing the buybacks when he used to and buying back at the wrong time uh, so that you'll get the most buybacks that way. But that would be best. Big tenders for your own stock and stuff is how you should buy back stock big buybacks when the stocks plunge but mm-hmm. how much has berkshire plunged anytime recently yeah. when he was doing buybacks so. mm-hmm. a lot of that is also because of the type of shareholders they have right mm-hmm. yeah people aren't really speculating on berkshire i would say like as a trading vehicle no not a very attractive trading vehicle there could be things in insurance that are possible to do i don't know that that's like when we talk about what could something happen something could happen insurance that could be an opportunity for them there's a lot of inflation there's different things happening in the world you know something could happen that creates an opportunity and berkshire uh, insurance is a little different um it's like with what we're saying with the microsoft buying activation things there can be communications and whatever there's those are like the bolt-on acquisitions there might one day be an opportunity for a big acquisition in insurance because some company's trouble some company needs out whatever um and berkshire's so involved in that and knows so much about that you know um but that's pretty hard berkshire's are pretty big in the stuff that they like the best they're really big in float um they're pretty big in just insurance in general they're one of the biggest insurers mm-hmm. yeah any final takeaways from the letter no my only takeaway is he wants to do a very big acquisition he's not hopeful about anything in the stock market buybacks are eh, if i have to do them you know i don't even know that he's buying back enough to stop the cash from growing at this point mm-hmm. it would depend on exactly how much cash is coming in but i don't think it will be at that pace so you're not even using up all your capital you have a huge base of uh, cash already unless you think the stock market's going to go down a lot and have plenty of volume and time for you to buy a lot of things that's hard to do so really thinking okay there's got to be some way to do an acquisition here and so he mentioned some acquisition things. Mm-hmm. He would love to do, you know, the Burlington Northern thing. If that same thing happened, recession or whatever, and someone's saying, I just don't want to be involved in being a public company anymore. They're a good home for them. Yeah. So I think he wants a acquisition that um, that has three digits. <laughs> uh, three commas? Three, three, no, three digits and then a B. Okay. Yeah. I think he would like to, an acquisition that can say, you know, $100 billion or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know that they want to do 10. They'll do 10 if they have. They've mm-hmm. done small acquisitions before when he really liked it and the situation and whatever. But it doesn't, you know, obviously it doesn't matter. I mean, we just saw the investment portfolio. 
So a $10 billion deal as a percentage of the investment portfolio is what, like yes. less than 3%? Yeah, it's like nothing. And then they have the cash and all that, so we're talking less than two. There's no reason to do that. Mm -hmm. That's become a problem at Berkshire over a long period of time. I mean, given what Berkshire has and everything, what you really want to do, what would you really want to do exactly? Based on his past, I don't know. I think a I think a hundred sounds good. Yeah, based on like Berkshire's really long past, one hundred fifty is probably more what they want. But you know, there's nothing in recent years that has been anything like that. That's just going way back to when he was at his most successful as a percentage of like the the size of the company and everything. Um, yeah, but you know, doing an all cash deal. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely do stock deals that are really big or blend in some stock, but doing an all that the cash component of a deal is like a hundred billion. Yeah, and again, I know people say, well, if you take out the thirty billion and whatever, he doesn't really have much more than a hundred billion left over, but he can sell. He's not going to keep all these things are up for sale. Mm -hmm. He has no commitment that I have to keep my Verizon, I have to keep my, um, you know, whatever. And Berkshire can borrow some money. Mm -hmm. If you have $300 billion in stocks, you can borrow the $30 billion or whatever that you need to close a deal. I, I don't see any way that if he really liked a deal, size and price of like $100 billion or, or more, that he would say, oh, it's too big. We can't do it. Mm -hmm. I think he would be willing to go up in size, much less so um, compromise on quality. Might compromise a little bit on price. It's been so long. That price has been so high. He might compromise a bit on price. But I think business quality won't compromise on. And I think size he'll make, if he could find the right one, he'd find a way to uh, work out the issue of it's too big a company to swallow. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If this is the first time you're joining us, hit the subscribe button so you will not miss any of our future episodes. We are on the schedule of three podcasts a week. So hit the subscribe button wherever you're watching, viewing, or listening to us. Um, if you're interested in our money management services or learning more about that, reach out to me, andrew at focuscompound.com. I thank everybody so much for all the support, and we will see you in the next podcast.